This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. New Life. Ah, my heart is bursting at this idea of being with you this morning. I mean, I know this is not the huggable version, and there is something to be lamented about that. (laughs) But it's something my heart has just expanded to hold you in it this morning as we hang out together in this virtual way. If we've never met, oh, my heart is still fully holding you. You are a spiritually curious person, hanging out with spiritually curious people. And those are some of my favorite people to hang out with. So welcome to you. It's great to meet you virtually. (laughs) And I can't wait to have this conversation with you. I hear you're hanging out in Ephesians and well done. It's a great place to hang out. And today we're going to be uh, chewing a little bit on a portion of Ephesians 3, verses about 12 to 17. But the section that comes right before that is so good and provides context for the little section that we'll be on today that I want to walk backwards a little bit, and then we'll head forward. I'm going to put the words on the screen, but there is something really fun happening here in Paul. He is having his mind blown. And I think it's probably best if you feel comfortable to close your eyes and just absorb it in. It is so colorful, this guy. It's so great. Okay, so this is Paul, Ephesians 3, and I'm going to start at verse 1. This is why I, Paul, am in jail for Christ, having taken up the cause of you outsiders, so-called. I take it that you're familiar with the part I was given in God's plan for including everybody. I got the inside story on this from God himself, as I just wrote you in brief. As you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets, there is a new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I have been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone all across the board. This is my life's work, helping people understand and respond to this message. It came as a sheer gift to me, a real surprise, God handling all the details. When it came to presenting the message to people who had no background in God's way, I was the least qualified of any of the available Christians. God saw to it that I was equipped, but you can be sure that it had nothing to do with my natural abilities. And so here I am preaching and writing about these things that are way over my head, this inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all of this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. All this is proceeding along lines planned all along by God and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said, bold to go wherever we need to go. So don't let my present trouble on your behalf get you down. Be proud. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, 
this magnificent father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will give, will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. I find that delightful. I resonate with that in so many different levels. <laughs> Paul, while being an expert in a way that I am not an expert, Paul is clearly openly confessing, uh-oh, uh I had it wrong. And you're watching him not only deal with the like, hey, I thought I used to know how things worked. And also I was fully trained in how things worked and fully credentialed to speak as an expert in, on behalf of that. But I am like trying to catch up with this new order. Like he has this encounter with Jesus and there is clearly a new order that is different from what he thought. And the new order makes him the least qualified one to actually speak to. I don't know about you, but there are plenty of things from my youth that I was like, oh, <laughs> not only did I have that wrong, but by virtue of my personality, I was telling everybody what I thought I knew. <laughs> so uh, maybe you have a different personality, but still, there are things that we have had to face down <laughs> of like, I thought this was true, but this is actually true. And then also like, oh, I'm just so inspired by Paul's, and I'm sure there was wrestling that we don't see in his writing here, but so inspired by Paul's encounter with Jesus when he gets corrected, when he gets set onto a different path, it doesn't come with shrinking and hiding and shame. It doesn't come with like, you know, not only you know, did he think he was credentialed over here? But lots of us, if we went through the experience that Paul went through, we would not only feel not credentialed to speak in this space, but we would feel the least credentialed. He says that in there as well. I was the least likely of all the Christians around. He felt in some way, shape or form, like logic would have disqualified him from working uh, with Jesus on this mystery in the world. I long for the kind of confidence, the kind of empowerment that I see on Paul. And if there's part of you that is like, well, yeah, you're a public speaker. He is a public speaker. That's maybe a thing that you recognize together. Friends, no matter your personality, no matter your calling, no matter, no matter, no matter, we were called to be co-creators with Jesus in this world. Overtly, Jesus's message over and over and over again was that he had come to the world to bring heaven's kingdom onto earth. And then at one point he says, well, I'm going away and that's actually better for you. And in no way, shape or form does that seem better <laughs> Except for if you consider that Jesus was God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, trapped in one human body and could only do what was limited to that one human body. And when he left, he left this message planted in his followers that then became a message that was so much more widespread, showed in so many varying degrees. 
Jesus was one human being in male form. And when Jesus left and planted this in the heart of his followers, now we get to see the kingdom of heaven as reflected by different cultures, by the spectrum of genders, by ages, by Jesus was one human trapped in the continuum of one life. And it is better that God's kingdom gets to be reflected across a wide variance of expressions. So while I may have certain personality and I am a certain age and I have certain things that I feel drawn to, and some of those are in common with Paul and some are not, you have things, you have a calling, you have a co-creating role to play in this mystery of Jesus on earth. And my prayer for you, and I think Paul's prayer for you, he says it directly here. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. This verse specifically is inviting us into an empowered way of living in the world that is not the kind of confidence that is puffed up by by um, head knowledge, is not the kind, you, you can see Paul living authentically working out this mystery, acknowledging right off the bat the ways that he did used to think, and then he encounters Jesus, and now he understands the world to work like this, and the kingdom of heaven to be like this. He is both owning where he can recognize his flaws and his mistakes and his whatevers, but also owning his role as a co-creator in that kingdom. This is a direct invitation to us in this passage, but also Paul's very own story is modeling for us what it can look like. Now, I was not credentialed in the way that Paul was credentialed, nor do I ever want to be. <laughs> Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> um, however, I do recognize that I am steeped in a message of religion that I think most of us in North America are steeped in. And the, the things that Paul used to know in his religious training gave him a certain kind of certitude, both in his worthiness to act out and speak on behalf of the message of religion that he'd been trained in, but also a certitude about who's in and who's out. That's what's so mind-blowing about this radically inclusive message that Jesus gave to him. Um, so he has this uh, training that you and I don't have. And therefore, he has a unique journey to getting over to this empowered living where he is working at his co-creator role. But you and I, without even those credentials, we often have absorbed, inhaled in a religious message that tells us certain things about who's in and who's out and tells us certain things about our qualification. And so even as we read scriptures like this that overtly invite us in to a co-creating relationship with Jesus, or we read about these principles of like, we don't need a priest or an intermediary between us and God. We have a direct path. The message of religion that we've heard often turns these types of Jesus invitations into like head knowledge. 
And it can be really hard to rationalize this pull that we feel towards the invitation of Jesus. And yet this message um, of religion that causes us to, to somewhat stall out. I don't know if that's totally true for you, but for a lot of us, a lot of the people that I have conversations with, there's almost this imposter syndrome going on where we know Jesus's invitation, but what we believe is more the message of religion, which says to us often that we are not worthy that there is a right standing with God and the things that put us in right standing with God in some way, shape or form, we don't feel like we have accomplished those. We don't feel like we have done those or, or we have done other things instead of those that whatever it is, the message of religion, part of how we know the difference between the message of religion and the message of Jesus is that Jesus's message is liberating and empowering and is, is categorized when every time you've heard someone say Jesus's gospel or the gospel or the gospels of Jesus, gospel means good news. <laughs> At every turn, Jesus was like, you know, I would sum up my, like, it's good news. This is good news. So part of how we know whether or not we are inhaling the message of religion or we're inhaling the message of Jesus is based on what it produces inside of us. And we can look back over the span of human history and we can see that religion's message divides. It divides people. It's not radically inclusive. It puts camps up. It, put li it puts lines in the sand everywhere. The message of religion divides people. And also the message of religion uh, generally produces in us a wrestling match with shame and a desire to hide. Whereas the message of Jesus is radically inclusive. It stretches the bounds of what the human mind. I loved the way Paul put it, that God's been doing this behind the scenes for all time anyway. We just were looking in the wrong places. We didn't see him doing it. But Paul puts it somewhere along the lines of like, God's working out all the details. <laughs> religious messaging does not have space for that. Religious's, religious messaging has certainties and understandings that make it very clear who's in and who is out. And Jesus's message is much messier than that is much. And you can see that on Paul, but that's also true of us. So this invitation to Paul in my mind has two different applications to it. When we think about the mystery that is Jesus and Jesus's way being fundamentally different than what religion would say, this message of radical inclusion blows our mind, how we view other people. So I think in two different ways, this can be true. If you find yourself saying, well, they are qualified to speak on behalf of Jesus. They are the ones who hear from God. They are the ones who are qualified to build the kingdom on earth. When you find yourself theying on criteria like that, that's not Jesus's radical message of inclusion. Everybody stands at the foot of Jesus on equal ground, being invited in as students, as siblings, as co-creators of the kingdom of heaven, everybody is invited in. 
And then also, if we find ourselves on another spectrum saying they are not Christians, they are not in, they do not qualify, if we find ourselves on that end of the spectrum, that also is not the ma- the radical message of inclusion. That is a direct uh, contradiction to Paul's statement of like, dude, the message is for everybody. And I, God works out the details. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That level of mystery, that is the appropriate word for that. Religion offers us certitude. Jesus offers us radically inclusive mystery. So that's one way in which Jesus's message practically affects us in how we view other people. But also, I think it needs to reflect back on how we view ourselves. And in my experience with the religious messaging that I have absorbed just in North American society, it's not even necessarily directly from my upbringing or my, the churches that I have belonged to. It's just in the water. It's just around in North America. The religious messaging that I have received has defined for me uh, the concept of humility, which is a Christian concept like that. Well, it's not just a Christian concept, but Jesus leans into it. He's totally comfortable with it. It embraces it. And the Bible talks about Jesus as being incredibly humble. Religion's messaging that usually causes shame and hiding has us defining humility as thinking less of ourselves that somehow that has been applied. And I would, a more extreme version of that is to say, to be humble is to be insecure. That's the messaging that religion says to us. And I think Jesus says something entirely different. And when we embrace, when Paul says to you, I pray that you strengthen these people, these followers, not with a brute strength, but with an glorious inner strength. There is a different definition of humility. So my mentor gave me this chart a few years ago, and it's been so helpful for me to break down where I might be tempted to uh, define humility in a different way. So first off, her definition of humility is so helpful to me. It is simply agreeing with God about who God says you are. That's humility. Not thinking less of yourself but also not thinking more of yourself, simply agreeing with who God says you are. And the message of Jesus is God says you're God's child. Full stop. (laughs) Made in God's image, sharing God's DNA. Full stop. That's who you are. You stand in good standing with your dad. You are not defined by the sum of your activities, and then you just hope that you get more good ones than bad ones. (laughs) You are not defined by the worst thing you've ever done. You are defined as a child of God. And then also, whether you're talking about the creation story or the story of the cross or like all the way through the story of scriptures is you're not just a genetic child of God. You are a loved child of God, not a tolerated one, not an accidental one, not a forgotten one, not a generic in the bulk of children one. We get to know through the teachings of Jesus, the modelings of Jesus, look at the stories of Jesus and how Jesus interacts with human beings. 
We are known, seen, loved, designed. So when I say, friend, you have an invitation to be a co-creator in the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, that, that heaven was meant to be touched, felt, and experienced on earth through Jesus followers. So when I say you have an invitation to be a co-creator in the kingdom of heaven, it is not a generic invitation that just goes out. It is a radically inclusive invitation that does include everybody, but we don't, we are not in relationship to a generic God who just tosses out this invitation willy-nilly. We were handcrafted. This invitation is a unique one to you based on your time in history, your culture, your personality, your all of your intersections. <laughs> That invitation is completely unique to you. So I promised this chart. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. How, how, how do we absorb the reality of that? I just, I mean, for Paul, it was blowing his mind on how it applied to the radically inclusive nature of it. But I, the thing that I felt as I prayed about this conversation was I think our absorption inside of ourselves is the thing that I'm praying Jesus blows our mind on today. Okay, so this chart, the definition of humility, according to my mentor, is agreeing with God about who God says you are. That is helpful. This chart breaks it down a little bit further. So in the center, we're shooting for peace. Or shalom, which is a concept of wholeness and in right standing with myself, with other people, and with God. That's what we're shooting for um, there. And in my uh, understanding, this is the place where true humility lies. So on this axis or at this intersection, we have two spectrums. So the vertical spectrum is speaking to the dependence spectrum. So at the top end is uh, very little dependence on anyone. It's self-dependent, self-reliance. And at the bottom of that spectrum is codependence, where we aren't self-reliant. We believe that the agency actually lives with other people. So uh, similarly to earlier when I was saying, if you find yourself believing they are the ones who hear from God, they are the ones, there is this distance from the center of agency um, that's missing in that space. That's not true humility. That is on the continuum of dependence. So we're shooting for that sweet inner spot where we are not out of our agency in the codependent space, thinking about how we want to engage with the world. And we are not into self-reliance where we falsely believe that we don't need anybody else. True humility lies in the center of that. And then on the horizontal continuum, this is the continuum of confidence, where on the left is insecurity or what I would consider false humility. And I'll come back to that in a second. And then on the other side of the spectrum is arrogance, which psychology now has proved for quite some time that is actually just insecurity. But the response to insecurity is to puff up to make it appear as though you are more than your confidence um, actually feels. 
Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, it's also insecurity, but it's a false humility where it denies having any of the value that you actually know that you have. It's the downplaying of uh, the value that you know you have. So true humility, peace, and shalom sits right in the center of that, where we live in this space of confidence that is not saying I am less than I am, and it's not pretending that I am more than I am. And you can see this on Paul. It is so gorgeous for him to recognize, well, I used to have these credentialings, but now those don't really matter anymore. So now, you know, in full humility, that's the right use of the word, in full humility, I am a student and I am making it my life's work to take this mystery that I am still exploring out into the world. That was his unique calling for co-creation of the kingdom. How do I let people know that the kingdom is radically inclusive and that it is stunningly beautiful? Come on in. And then also on the codependent uh, versus self-reliant, that's us living in community with other people. That is us being in right relationship to the feedback loops and things that are around us. And ideally, we live in that centerpiece shalom, which is awesome. But also, I think God enjoys when we take initiatives and step out. So um, if it is true that God has knit you together and uniquely designed you and then calls you into a unique co-creation role in bringing the kingdom of heaven onto earth, then it also would suggest that God wants to work with you on the projects that you want to work on. And that is not religion's message. So religion's message is there is a, a um, work to be done. You owe it. That's part of how you become uh, worthy of your standing in front of God. You owe it and you need to respond to whatever God asks of you. Now, Jesus's message was not ignore whatever God asks of you. That was not the heart of that message. But Jesus's message of like, let's go build this kingdom together. Jesus's choice of who he brought into his inner circle. There's so many different ways that Jesus demonstrated for us that we are not simply responding to God's needs. We are not God's slave labor. That God invites us into this partnership, into this building together, and wants to go with us where we want to go based on our experiences, based on our passions, based on our personalities. That God, like I, I um, love this image of my old way of approaching God would be like, all right, pen in hand. All right, God, give me the marching orders. What do you want me to do? And then God in God's kindness <laughs> would give me an idea. And I would immediately jump into all kinds of insecurity because the idea was much bigger than I could do. But that's because I was living in self-reliance all the time. So then the panic of failure, the panic of overwhelmedness, all of those things would kick in. But then I would, in my best effort, begin praying my butt off <laughs> that I would somehow be worthy of this calling that I had received. 
Now what happens when I live in this space of true humility and in humility, I accept my role as a co-creator of the kingdom. Now I don't typically come with pen in hand, although some personalities will always do that. I don't come with pen in hand. Usually now my, like I'm all kinds of rubbing my hands together and I'm like, okay, what are we up to? What do we want to do? And I still sometimes default to this, like, give me your marching orders. And what I have so graciously experienced over and over and over again is this sense of invitation of God saying to me, what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? Where do you want to go? I'm with you. <laughs> I have this grand vision of a kingdom on earth and there's work to be done across the board and there are there's ground to be taken and there's beauty to be planted in the world and there's all of this potential where do you want to go because all of my kids are doing it all of my kids are working those who know they're working with me or they don't know they're working with me my kids are planting beauty into the world and i'm with them i'm with them so where do you want to go ange who are you and what do you want to do to bring a touch of heaven to earth? It's a game changer, my friends. And the solution is not this little chart. This little chart was just helpful in helping me earmark where I was, which was up and to the left of uh, self-reliance and false humility. I couldn't own, at the time, I couldn't own who God said I am. And it is this glorious invitation of radical inclusion of Jesus that begins to shape me into an active participant. And I still have the awarenesses of the places that I'm doing things that are directly against the kingdom of heaven. And I still have awarenesses of places that I haven't yet taken action that I know are mine to bring to the world. I still have places where my self-awareness makes me quake at times. But this definition of true humility acts like a plumb line for me to continue to be rowing my little internal boat towards, it acts as an anchor point that I don't veer too far one way or the other, but I get to live in this empowered perspective that is both the message of radical inclusion, it has my arms wide open to other people, but this message of radical inclusion has my heart wide open to myself. And then I go back to this prayer of Paul. I just love this father, this magnificent father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. I want to show you two pictures of kingdom. The first picture is what the world would consider kingdom. It is all kinds of beautiful. It is all kinds of developed. It is all kinds of established and all kinds of certainty. <laughs> the world's kingdoms conquer. The world's kingdoms oppress. The world's kingdoms hustle and clamor. The world's kingdoms build 
in a way that violates, whether it's violating, exploiting people, or it's violating the earth, or it's like the world's kingdoms function fundamentally different than this kingdom on earth. And when I think about empowered living and what it means to have true humility, so when I say this, this empowered living allows me to open my arms to other people, but also accept in and open my heart to myself, then I get a different picture of what Jesus's kingdom looks like. And this second picture is a picture of what Jesus said his kingdom would be. And out of this beautiful space of believing who God says we are, we have the ability to lay it all out on behalf of our siblings, on behalf of God's children, on behalf of all of God's children. We are invited in to be so well-loved that there is an abundance and a margin in us that allows us to know with certainty that we are seen, known, loved, provided for. We have received what we need as beloved children in such a way that there's an abundance for us to offer it to others. There's no mentality of scarcity in the kingdom of heaven. We are all known, seen, loved, and provided for. And with that, there is space and abundance for us to open our arms. And you see this on Paul. He is in prison on behalf of this message. And he's like, hey, don't feel guilty about that. Pick your head up. Be proud. The way I think about it is I thank God for you. What kind of empowered living what kind of knowing does it take for that kind of inner glorious strength that we see on Paul? That is my prayer for me. That is my prayer for you. That this week we dare to believe, we dare to agree with who God says we are in such a way that we can experience in increasing ways day in and day out this glorious standing as God's beloved children. And out of that, we would dare to step into our co-creating role and bring pieces of heaven to earth wherever we go. That is my prayer. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable. Absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.